I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the uh, book of 2 Kings, chapter 13. Last week, we returned to our series that we call The King of Kings in the Books of Kings, and our attention was focused on King Joash, the boy king of the southern kingdom of Judah. If you remember, Joash was rescued by the PRC of Jerusalem, right? Jehosheba, Jehosheba, the brave Jehosheba, rescued King Joash and stowed him away in the little room. And then the brave Jehoiada of the PRC of Jerusalem uh, brought him out, crowned him, and had him have a brave, good start as a thumbs-up king in Jerusalem. Unfortunately, he ultimately turned out to be a thumbs-down king who failed to restore Judah to faithfulness. In today's chapter, our attention turns again to the northern kingdom of Israel. This kingdom has been ruled by King Jehu, who was anointed by the prophet Elisha back in chapter 9 to kill and overthrow wicked King Joram and all of the house of wicked King Ahab, including his wicked King Jezebel, to avenge the blood of the Lord's prophets whom they had wickedly slain. And the Lord promised this new King Jehu, back in chapter 10, verse 30, that at least four generations of his family would sit on the throne of the northern kingdom of Israel. So now, in chapter 13, King Jehu has died. And now his son, second generation, King Jehoahaz, is going to take the throne. And then his son, third generation, is going to take the throne next, in this chapter as well. And the big question is, as it always is, will these kings be thumbs up or thumbs down? And the answer is, unfortunately, thumbs down. These are kings of the north, after all. and Every single king in the northern kingdom of Israel has been and will be thumbs down. Not every king is as bad as they could be, but they are all bad in the eyes of the Lord. Now, we've reached our last leg of our journey through the books of Kings, believe it or not. This is message 25 in this series. We've reached the last leg. There are still 13 chapters left to go, but they're all pretty much a straight march to the bottom, to the unhappy ending of the exile. Most of you know, I assume, that there is no happy ending to the books of Kings, Second Kings is not going to have this satisfying ending with swelling music and everything happy-go-lucky. The northern, both kingdoms are headed to disaster. The northern kingdom is rushing headlong and will get there first, but the second kingdom, the southern kingdom, is not that far behind. In other words, things are going to fall apart. These thumbs-down kings will lead thumbs-down kingdoms. And the Lord has promised thumbs-down consequences for their decisions. Exile is what's on the way. And yet, and yet, even in the midst of thumbs-down kings and thumbs-down kingdoms, God is still at work. God hasn't changed. God is still merciful, just, gracious, and faithful. In other words, God is still God. So today as we read 2 Kings 13, I want to point out who God is, no matter who the king is. 
and think together about how we should relate to that unchanging God. Here's the title of today's message. God is good, even when the king is bad. Amen? God is good, even when the king is bad. Let's pray together, and then we'll dive into the details of 2 Kings 13. Let's pray. Father, I too pray for the PRC. Thank you for them and their clear, faithful, loving gospel witness in uh, State College and its environs uh, for these many years. Thank you, Father, that they have proclaimed your life matters. And that's because of God. God has placed this value on human life that we're supposed to share because we're made in the image of God. Thank you for what Chelsea shared this morning, and we pray for blessing on them. And we pray for blessing on us, Lord, as we turn our attention to the Word of God, that this Word of God would get into us as we get into it. Help us to see who God is, this God we've been singing about this morning, and to respond to Him in faith, to respond accordingly. Would you give us more faith, Lord? More of you? Through it all, you've been enough, more than enough, and your name is wonderful. It's perfect. Blessed be your name. Glorify your name among us. We pray in that name. Amen. There's a popular saying that Christians use. I don't know who started it. I learned it back at Promise Keepers. It was featured in the movie God's Not Dead. You've probably heard it and used it too. It's really good. It goes like this. God is good all the time. Yeah, you know it. That's right. That's true. It doesn't always feel like it. In fact, it often doesn't feel like it. Right? That's why we have to remind ourselves of it. That's why we go back and forth with it. God is good all the time. Even when the king is bad. Now, I almost titled this message, Thumbs Down Kings, but Thumbs Up God. I thought that kind of sounded dumb to say God was thumbs up. It's not good enough. God is good, even if the king is bad. I think we've seen this again and again as we've trekked through the books of kings. Some of these kings were faithful and some were faithless, but God stays the same. He's always faithful, no matter what. And that's going to become increasingly important to remember as these two kingdoms continue their downward slides. Things are going to get bad. They're going to go from bad to worse. But God is not going to change. Now, I've read your posts on social media. Some of you believe that this week we are leaving the worst American presidential administration ever. And some of you believe that this week we are entering the worst American presidential administration ever. The point of this message is that regardless of whether either of you are right or either of you are wrong, God is still good. The Lord is still merciful, just, gracious, and faithful. He has been good. He is good, and He will be good forever. And we should respond to Him accordingly. So let's look at the details. 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 1. In the 23rd year of Joash, son of Ahaziah, king of Judah, whom we learned about last week, Jehoahaz, son of Jehu, became king of Israel in Samaria, and he reigned 17 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord by following the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, 
is the exact same wording as back in Exodus when God saw how Israel was oppressed by Egypt. He cared then. He cares now. Call for help. So often we wait and wait thinking that we've got to get cleaned up enough to deserve the help before we ask God for it. Did you ever do that? Wait until this time down the road when you've got things in place. Now I'll ask God for the help. We never do get ourselves cleaned up. We need to ask now. God loves to answer our cries for aid. He's compassionate. Do you believe that? If you don't think that God is compassionate, you don't know the God of the Bible. The prophet Jonah hated how compassionate he knew God to be. He didn't want to go to Nineveh, not because he was afraid of the Ninevites. He was afraid that God was going to forgive them. That God was going to show those people grace and mercy and compassion. That's how compassionate God is. If you need help, don't hesitate to call on Him. Just humble yourself and do it. This thumbs-down king of Israel humbled himself and pleaded with God for mercy, and he received it. God provided a deliverer. It doesn't tell us who that deliverer was. It might have been the prophet Elisha. We'll see in a second that Elisha is still alive. It doesn't say. The point is not who the deliverer is here, but that God sends deliverance out of His mercy. Sadly, Jehoahaz's humility did not last, and he did not repent. Verse 6, But they did not turn away from the sins of the house of Jeroboam, which he had caused Israel to commit. They continued in them. Also, the Asherah pole remained standing in Samaria. Nothing had been left of the army of Jehoahaz except 50 horsemen, 10 chariots, and 10,000 foot soldiers. For the king of Aram had destroyed the rest and made them like the dust at threshing time. That's really sad. Because it didn't have to be that way. Here's application point number two. Turn from sin. Turn from sin. They didn't turn away, but they should have, Right? clear here this is a cautionary tale this is a warning for you and me turn away from sin turn away from idolatry there's nothing good that comes from going in that direction last week i asked the question what is the biggest threat to your walk with god in 2017 another way of asking that is what are your potential idols what is the asherah pole in your life what do you have to guard your heart from Chelsea said, guard your heart. What do you have to guard your heart from? Idols. What's the Asherah pole in your life? It's still standing there. Jehu was king. He took out all the priests of Baal, but still there's an Asherah pole standing in the middle of the square in Samaria. And look how decimated they were because of it. The army was made like dust at threshing time. How would you like to know that your army had turned to dust? What was the cause of that? It was idolatry. Now we look at this and we say, why didn't Jehoahaz turn? Why didn't he cut that pole down and burn it for firewood? Why didn't he return the country to Yahweh? I don't understand. But Jehoahaz might look at your life or mine and say, why do they hold on to their idols? Why don't they turn away from those habits, those temptations, those relationships, those choices? I don't understand. Don't they see where that will lead? It doesn't matter if the king is good or if the king is bad. What matters is that if 
God has the hearts of His people. Repentance is not something you do once and then you're done. Martin Luther used to say that life is a race of repentance. I love that. A race of repentance. Repentance is a daily, regular choice we make to turn away from sin and pursue righteousness to walk with God. So let me ask you again. What is the biggest threat to your walk with God in 2017? God is calling for you to do something about it. To take whatever drastic measures you have to, but turn away from it. Take a cha- fire up that chainsaw and take it to the Asherah pole today. That way leads to danger. But in Christ there's hope. Call for help and turn from sin. And number three, ask for more. More grace, that is. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verse 8. As for the other events of the reign of Jehoahaz, all he did and his achievements, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel? Kind of, we got back to the old familiar story, right? Sounds like the broken record. Jehoahaz rested with his fathers and was buried in Samaria. And Jehoash, his son, succeeded him as king. In the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, Jehoash, son of Jehoahaz, became king of Israel in Samaria, and he reigned 16 years. He was also two thumbs down. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He continued in them. He didn't learn anything from what I just said. As for the other events of the reign of Jehoash, all he did and his achievements, including his war with Amaziah, king of Judah, which we'll learn about next week, Are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel? Jehoash rested with his fathers, and Jeroboam succeeded him on the throne. Jehoash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. So this is not very encouraging, is it? There's not much good to say about this guy, was there? He lived, he died, he was evil in the story. It's interesting that he has the same basic name as the king of Judah. Joash in the south and Jehoash in the north, and sometimes they, the names aren't always spelled the same way. Sometimes they're spelled the same, both north and south. They end up heading in the same direction as well. But there was one important moment in this king's life, one important moment enough for the, for the Lord to include it in the Bible. It was the time that he interacted with the prophet Elisha. The next verse, verse 14, takes us into a flashback to tell us about that time. Old Elisha was about to die. Look at verse 14. Now Elisha was suffering from the illness from which he died. Jehoash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Now does that sound familiar, that phrase? Should. That's what Elisha said on the last day he was with his mentor, Elijah. It's a compliment. It means you are the true army of Israel. You're worth more than an armored tank division. You're the true chariots and horsemen of Israel, Elisha, and I can't believe we're going to lose you. Of course, verse 7 tells us that his father hadn't left much of an army for poor Jehoash. Elisha was the best defense the nation ever had, and now he was dying. And old chariots and horsemen Elisha has one more victory to give to Israel. Look at verse 15. Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows. And he did so. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. 
When he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said, and he opened it towards Syria, towards Aram. Shoot, Elisha said, and he shot. Yahweh's arrow of victory. The arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared. You will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, take the arrows. And the king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. And that's why I say, ask for more. Because God is still gracious, still generous, no matter who the king is. You see, this king should have known it. He should have asked for more. I don't know why he stopped, but it's clear that he shouldn't have and that he should have known better. It was clear to Elisha that Jehoash was not asking for enough. He wasn't seeing God as generous and overflowing with grace. I don't think, he wasn't, I don't think it was just that he wasn't paying attention. It was like, oh, rats, I should have, I should have stamped the ground more. Oh, I'm sorry, let me do that. I'll, I'll stamp the ground some more. No, what he's saying is he was half-hearted. He wasn't believing. He wasn't trusting. Elisha wouldn't have gotten so mad if it was just a slip-up. Jehoash should have asked for more. Here's why. Because, because God loves to do more. Remember Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. I think that might have been our first hide-the-word verse. To him who is able, more than able, like what was played this morning, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to, <coughs> to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. See, God gets the most glory when we ask him to do more. This is the point in this sermon that I needed to hear this week as I prepared it. I think too often that I settle for too little of God's grace. I know I don't deserve any of it, so I don't ask. But I should know that God gets more glory when He gives more grace. So I ought to be asking Him for more. Now I'm not talking about dollars, not primarily at least. More dollars, I suppose, if they are needed. But I am talking about blessings. I'm talking about grace. I'm talking about souls. As 2017 gets underway, I need to be praying that God would give us more blessings as a church. And not just pound the arrows three half-hearted times and then walk away. But to ask God to give us more. More of Him. More knowledge of Him. More disciples for Him. More babies rescued. More men at the wild game dinner. More glory to go to Him as He gives us more grace. Do you need to hear that this morning? Ask for more. James says, you do not have because you do not ask God. Pound the arrow. Because no matter how bad the king is, God is good. All the time, God is good. God is gracious. Here's how gracious and powerful He is. He gives resurrection life. Look at verse 20. Elisha died. And was buried, probably in a cave. Now Moabite raiders used to enter the country every spring. Once, 
While some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders, so they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. When the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood on his feet. Can you imagine? I wonder who was more surprised. The men throwing the body or the body? Who was a man again? Elisha might have been dead, but the Lord was not. He is life. And that's just a foretaste of the glory to come. Why wouldn't we ask for more if God can raise the dead? That's power. And that's grace. Elisha may be dead, the last of the great prophets of the books of Kings. He may be dead, but the Lord is not, and neither are His promises. Number four and last, trust the promises. Trust the promises. Verse 22, Hatzael, king of Aram, oppressed Israel throughout the reign of Jehoahaz. But the Lord was gracious to them and had compassion and showed concern for them. Why? Because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To this day, he has been unwilling to destroy them or banish them from his presence. Why weren't they completely destroyed? Was it because they didn't deserve it? Because there was some thumbs up in there? No. Because God had made some promises. A covenant. And as we saw last week, God always keeps His promises. No matter who is king. Even if they are the absolute worst. Hatzael and his son Ben-Hadad should have finished Israel off by all natural accountings, by all logic and the laws of reason. But somehow Israel always managed to survive. And that somehow was because God was faithful. Not because Jehoahaz or Jehoash were faithful. They weren't. But God was. And still is. And forever will be. So we can trust Him. Verse 24. Hazael king of Aram died. And Ben-Hadad his son succeeded him as king. Then Jehoash son of Jehoahaz recaptured from Ben-Hadad son of Hazael the towns he had taken in battle from his father Jehoahaz. Three times Jehoash defeated them. And so he recovered the Israelite towns. Why why three times? Because that's how many times God had said through Elisha that they would defeat him. Three pounds of the arrows? A promise of three wins? That's what they got. God always keeps His promises. Last week I asked you, what promises from God are you going to begin to cling to in a greater way in 2017? What was your answer? It was, yeah, that's a good idea. I should probably think about that. Or did you take one? Here's my promise that I'm going to cling to in a greater way in 2017. What promise are you making your own? Maybe it's multiple promises. And maybe writing, long live the king at the bottom of the 3 by 5 card with that promise on it. The promises we need are right here. All of them. The Apostle Peter said, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises. Trust them. Learn them and trust them. So this story is going to get worse. Elisha is now dead. It's the end of an era. They've lost the chariots and horsemen of Israel. There's no Eliza to come up after. It's not Elijah, Elisha, now now a third one. That's it for these kind of prophets. 
And each king of Israel from now on will continue to be two thumbs down until the nation of Assyria swoops in and takes them away. But even if the king is bad, God is still good. He's still merciful, so call for help. He's still holy, so turn from sin. He's still gracious, so ask for more. He's still faithful, so trust the promises. God is good. All the time? Let's pray.